Welcome, everybody, to Christmas at Cedar Creek. I am so glad. Yeah, you can celebrate that. So glad you're joining us this morning, whether you're doing that at one of our campuses or just connecting with us online. I really do appreciate you setting aside some time in this busy holiday season to connect, to celebrate, to worship the Jesus, the, the one who was born that first Christmas. It's a time of joy. It's a time of celebration, even in the difficulties and struggles in life. So thank you so much for being here. And as you can see, we are continuing to unbox the joy of Christmas. And if you're wondering what that means, it means that we're looking at the birth of Jesus in a little bit different way. We're, we're thinking outside the box in terms of how Jesus' birth brings joy into our lives because the birth of Jesus has always meant to bring us joy. That's always been God's design. In fact, you see that in that first birth announcement of Jesus that the angels gave to the shepherds in Bethlehem. And notice what the angel says, Luke 2.10. Do not be afraid. Why? Because I bring you good news that will cause what? What does it say? Great joy for who? For all the people. And so each week we've unboxed an aspect of Jesus' birth that brings joy to our lives. Right? Week one, we unpack the joy of being invited. Christmas means that you are invited to God's family, to be a part of his family. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, what's been done to you, what you've been through in life, no matter how you feel about yourself and God, Christmas means God wants you in his family. You're invited. There's joy in that. And then last week we unboxed the joy of connecting. Christmas doesn't just mean that you get to be in God's family. It means you get to connect with God's family. You get to do life together with other believers. You don't have to go through life alone. The joy of being better together. That's what Christmas means. And today we're going to unpack another aspect of joy, unbox another aspect of the joy of Jesus' birth, and that is the joy of, brrr, drum roll, growth. The joy of growing. See, Christmas means you don't have to stay where you are. You, you can't change where you are, and you can't change how you got there, but you don't have to stay there anymore. You can grow. You don't have to live stuck in the same old, same old. And that is a source of joy for all of us. You know, let's get real. One of the worst feelings in life is to feel stuck. Right? To feel just stuck where you are. And, and you think, well, well I'm always going to be fill in the blank, or I'm always going to have, or I'm always going to not have, fill in the blank. We feel stuck in life. In fact, probably there are some of you this morning, maybe many of us, who feel stuck right now. But Jesus' birth means you can grow through it. You can grow past it. In fact, look what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 
if anyone belongs to Christ, in other words, if anyone is in an authentic relationship with Christ, there is a new creation. The old things have gone. Everything. Everything is made new. And this being made new is not just a one-time event that begins when you start a relationship with Jesus. This being made new is an ongoing, lifelong process, like growth, right? I mean, I don't know if you realize this or not, but, but over the life, lifestyle or life cycle of, I'll get my words right in a minute, over the lifespan of this plant, it will replace every one of its cells multiple times, dozens, maybe even hundreds of times. In fact, a year from now, these leaves you see on this plant, they won't be here. They'll fall off. There'll be new leaves, bigger leaves, better leaves. These flowers will be replaced by bigger and better flowers. These little skinny green, you know, really tall or really small stems will be replaced by thicker, stronger, more sturdy. That's what growth is. That is the miracle of growth. You can be made new in Christ. That's the joy of his birth. But it's not automatic, right? This plan is just not going to grow without anything happening to it, right? There are basic things this plant needs to grow. It needs water. It needs sunlight. It needs nutrients in order to grow. But it also needs seasons to go through. This plant is going to have to go through seasons in order to grow. And not just the warm, wonderful spring and summer, but it's going to have to go through the harsh falls and winters in order to grow. Guess what? Same thing for you. If you're going to grow, you're going to have to have some basic things that you do consistently in your life, and you're going to have to go through some seasons in order to grow. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Some basic tools that we need if we're going to grow through life and then things, seasons we're going to have to go through that God can use to grow us and get us unstuck. So let's get started. Number one, the first basic tool you need for growth, God's Word. You need God's Word to grow. You need to engage daily with the Bible. It's key to our growth. Not my words. Jesus' words. Look at what Jesus says, John 8, 31. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. What's a disciple? Someone that's growing. And Jesus said, it's about my teachings. In fact, look at what he says specifically. Hold to my teachings. Circle that phrase on your outline. Hold to my teachings. What does that mean? It means it's going to take more than just reading the Bible. In fact, it's going to take more than just studying the Bible to know what it says. You're going to have to hold on to it to apply it to your life. If you want to grow, you're going to have to take the truths and principles in here and put them into practice in your life. If you want to get unstuck in your life, then you need to hold to and apply these principles, these truths in your life. It's essential, like water to this plant. So holding fast to God's word is to our growth. 
Not only do you need God's word, but the second thing you need is God's people. You need God's people. You need other believers to help you grow. You cannot grow in a vacuum. You cannot get unstuck on your own. If you could get unstuck on your own, you'd have been unstuck a long time ago. You need other people to come alongside you, to to walk with you, to encourage you, to hold you accountable, to challenge you. Remember, that's why we said last week we are better together. And one of the ways that we are better together is we help each other grow. Reminds me of the little girl, four years old, got woken up in the middle of the night by a thunderstorm. She ran down the hall to mom and daddy's room and she flew pushed open the door, and she said, Daddy, Daddy, I'm scared. I don't want to be alone. Can I sleep with y'all? And Daddy said, Sweetheart, God is with you. You're not alone. God is with you. And she said, Daddy, I understand God is with me, but tonight I need somebody with some skin on. Right? We need people in our life with skin on to help us grow. Look what the Bible says, Hebrews 10, 24. He says, let us think about each other and help each other to show love and to do good deeds. And isn't that the essence of growing in our life? Learning to love God, to love each other. Learning to do things that give glory to God. You need God's word. You need God's people. And then number three, you need God's spirit. You need God's spirit to grow. Now, understand this idea of spirit, if you're kind of new to the whole church thing, sounds a little twilight zone like spirit, God's spirit. What does that mean? Look, it's not some big mystery. God's spirit is simply God's presence and God's power in you. And the Bible says when you become a believer, he puts his spirit in you. His presence, his power, his strength is available to you. And here's why this is critical. Here's why this is a spiritual issue. Because Jesus is not just a good moral teacher, but because he is God in the flesh. You need more than just his teachings and his people. You need his spirit to grow. Look at John 16, 13. This is Jesus talking. Jesus says, when the spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, God's spirit, when the spirit of truth comes, he will, what? What does it say? Guide you into all truth. If you're a believer, you have God's spirit in you. The question is, are you allowing God's spirit to lead you, or are you just going on your own? Are you doing what you want to do when you want to do it, going where you want to go? Are you allowing God's Spirit to guide you? Because Jesus' call to people was not just believe in me. Jesus said, follow me. What does it mean to follow? Well, it don't mean run ahead of. It, It don't even mean walk beside. It means walk behind. Go where he goes, step where he steps, and don't do it until he does it. So much of the stuckness in our life, so many of the reasons that we're stuck in these repeating patterns is we keep trying to open doors on our own. Instead of waiting patiently for God to open those doors, we run ahead. And then we get mad at God because it didn't turn out the way we wanted it. We need God's spirit to guide us. 
God's word, God's people, and God's spirit are essential. Let me say those are basic tools. Now look, most of you, if you've been around church, this is not new information, right? You weren't sitting out there filling in them blanks going, wow, I never heard that before. That's great stuff. This Philip Lee is unbelievable. He's a genius. No. In fact, most of you could have filled in those three blanks the moment you walked in the door. The problem for most of us is not a lack of information. The problem is a lack of implementation. To consistently build time and engagement and obedience to God's word. To consistently push past our desire to hide and isolate and do life together with other believers. To consistently wait on God to move before we try to run where we want to run. Look, I I don't know what area of your life you're stuck in right now. But I can tell you this. These three basic tools are essential. Consistently building this into your life is essential if you're going to get the joy of growing. But look, growth not only comes from these obvious ways. Guess what? Growth also comes from some not-so-obvious ways. Just like this plant is going to have to go through seasons in order to grow, you're going to have to go through seasons in your life that God can use to grow you. And let me just tell you, in my life, the seasons of greatest growth have always been the most difficult seasons of life. Right? I'll just tell you, I don't grow much. I don't change much when life is smooth. Most growth, most change comes when life gets overwhelming. Why? Because there is no growth without change. And there is no change without pain. We we don't change because we see the light. We change because we feel the heat. We, We change when the pain of not changing overcomes the pain to make those changes. That's why the Bible says God works all things. He works in all things for our good and His glory. And that includes the difficult seasons of your life. And so this morning I just want to look at two seasons that will bring growth in your life. Two seasons of life that God can use if you'll let him to grow you and get you unstuck. Number one are the seasons of trouble. Seasons of trouble can teach me to trust. Seasons of trouble can teach me to trust. Because the truth is, we don't trust God until we have to. So sometimes God sees to it that we have to. He allows troubles in our life to put us in a position where we might choose to trust Him. I mean, let's get real. Most of the seasons of trouble in our life are self-inflicted, right? So much of the trouble we get into are by the choices we've made. We've walked into it. But there are times... I don't know if you know this or not, but there are times when God sends trouble our way, intentionally. The Bible calls these trials. These trials of life are things designed by God, not to hurt us, not to punish us because we've been bad, but to grow us, to develop our character, because our tendency is to seek comfort. 
Just like water will always seek the lowest level, as human beings, we will always seek the most comfortable thing in life. The problem is it's in the comfort that we get stuck by settling You know, that's why you get stuck on the couch if you just sit on the couch all day, every day. Comfort gets you stuck. But God loves you too much for you to live stuck. God cares way more about your long-term character development than your short-term comfort. That's why the Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 5, 3 and 4. He says, we also have joy with our troubles. What does that mean? How do you have joy with your troubles? Here's how. Because we know that these troubles produce patience. And patience produces character. And character produces hope. If you're going to unbox the joy of Christmas, if you're going to find any kind of true hope in this season, That trouble you're going through might be the very thing God wants to use to give you that joy and to give you that hope. But here's the thing. It's not automatic. Just going through troubles won't automatically grow you. Lord knows if just going through troubles would grow me, I'd be a spiritual giant right now. We have to cooperate with God in those seasons. How do you do that? How do you allow the times of trouble to teach you to trust? Well, I think there's probably no better example of that than Jesus, right? The biggest trial, the biggest trouble that Jesus faced was the cross. And because he was fully God and fully man, he knew exactly what he was facing. He knew what every whip stripe would feel like. He knew what those nails would feel like. He knew what was coming. And that's why the night before Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he drew his closest followers with him and he said, Guys, I am troubled deeply in my spirit. Sit and pray with me. Stay with me because this is bad. I'm feeling it. The stress was so much, the capillaries in his skin literally burst and he sweat drops of blood. That's how much trouble he was facing. But I want you to look at what he prays. Look at what he prays. Mark 14, 36. Abba, which means daddy. Father, he cried out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Did you catch that? It's okay to say, God, I don't want that trouble. God, take it away. God, fix it. God, ease my pain. There's nothing wrong with that. Growing and trusting God is not going, thank you, sir. May I have another? It's not some sort of sadistic enjoyment of pain. No, it's okay to be real. But at some point, just like Jesus, you have to make a choice. Will I trust him or will I keep trusting myself and my circumstances. What trial are you going through right now? What trouble? Maybe God has sent it. Maybe you stumbled into it. Maybe you made a bunch of bad decisions. What trouble is stealing your joy this Christmas? Whatever it is, I can't promise God is going to take it away from you, but I can promise God will use it 
to teach you to trust Him more. And when you do, you'll find a joy that's deeper than any surfacey happiness. You'll find a deep joy that life and life circumstances can never take away. Seasons of trouble can teach me to trust. Number two, seasons of temptation can teach me to obey. Seasons of temptation can teach me to obey. If trials are those things designed by God to teach us to trust, temptations are those things designed by Satan to steal our joy and to keep us stuck in the same old, same old. The amazing thing is that even though temptations come from our enemy Satan, God can use them to teach us to obey him. You know, we talked earlier about how important obedience is to growth. Obeying God's word, putting these principles into practice. But here's the thing. Obedience is really only obedience when you have an option to disobey. What I mean by that is everybody's obedient when it doesn't cost. Everybody's obedience when you don't have any other option. Right? That's not true obedience. Obedience is only really obedience when you have an alternative. It's like somebody sitting on a train, riding on a train, bragging about going the speed limit. I'm going the speed I'm obeying the speed limit. Yeah, technically, but you're not driving the train. Real obedience is when you're on the highway in the driver's seat and you get to choose whether you obey the speed limit or not. That's what real obedience is. And so to develop obedience, you have to have a temptation. You have to have something that pulls you towards not obeying. That's what temptation always is. It is trying to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Temptation is always about a legitimate need, the need to be loved, the need to be appreciated, the need to have value, the need to have purpose. It's always built on a legitimate need, but it's trying to take a shortcut and meet it in an illegitimate way. Temptation is always about settling for the quick counterfeit instead of doing the hard work to get the real deal. You see that in the temptation of Jesus, right? Most of you probably know that Jesus, right after he was baptized, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness 40 days and nights. And at the end of that, he was tempted by Satan. And every way that Satan tried to tempt Jesus was to convince him to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way, to take a shortcut. Satan said, you're hungry, you hadn't eaten in over a month. Turn this stone into bread. Legitimate need, hunger. Illegitimate to use God's power for personal need. And then Satan takes Jesus up on the tower of the temple and says, jump off. You're the son of God. God ain't going to let anything happen to you. Those angels will come catch you. Legitimate. Jesus had access to tens of thousands of angels to protect him and keep him safe. Illegitimate to test God in that way. And then finally, Satan takes Jesus on top of the mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world, all the glory, all the riches, all the everything in this world could offer and said, it's all yours and all you got to do is bow down to me. Here's what you need to understand. The world was going to belong to Jesus. He was going to inherit it all, but the path to it was through the cross to go through the tough stuff. Satan says, you don't have to do all that. Take the shortcut. That's what Satan will do with temptation 
every time. And notice Jesus' prayer, Matthew 4.10. Jesus says, get out of here, Satan. The scripture says, worship only the Lord God. Obey only him. Look, if you're going to grow through your temptations, you got to do the same two things Jesus did. First, you got to confront it. You got to call it what it is. You got to call it illegitimate. You got to recognize that it's counterfeit. And it may make you feel good in the short term, but it's going to leave you empty, broken, and jacked up in the long term. And once you confront it, you still got to make the choice. You still got to decide am I going to live based on my whims or am I going to live based on God's will? You know, in my life and my struggle with my temptations, here's what I've discovered. Temptation is always a mind game. It's all about how I think. That's why Paul writes in Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't get stuck in this world, but be transformed, grow, be changed by the renewing of your mind. You got to change the way you think. Most of us give in to temptation because we focus on the temptation, right? I'm not going to eat that donut. I'm not going to eat that Krispy Kreme donut. I'm not going to eat that hot, fresh, melt-in-your-mouth donut. And I'm focusing on the donut. Well, you know what happens? I end up in the KK drive-thru, passed out, crumbles all over me in a blood sugar of 1,500. Why? Because I focused on the temptation. Paul is saying focus on what you want, not on what you're trying to avoid. Stop trying to resist temptation and refocus your mind. That's why the Bible says fix your thoughts on whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is righteous. Focus on the real stuff, the amazing stuff that God has for you. And as you focus on the great stuff of God, the cheap trinkets that Satan keeps offering will become less and less enticing to you. So let me ask you this, that thing that keeps tempting you, that thing you're struggling with, are you focusing on it? Or are you focusing on what God has for you? Because being obedient, really the only way to really develop obedience is to have a choice and to choose the best over what's the quickest. So I want to close this morning and I want to ask you, whatever campus you're on, wherever you're watching, wherever you're at right now, would you just do this for me? Just close your eyes for just a minute. Just take a deep breath. Let's just step back from whatever's going on in our lives, step back from the chaos of this season, and just take a moment and ask God to show you where are you stuck right now? Where are you stuck in life? Where are you not growing in your life? Ask God to show you where you keep repeating the same old unhealthy patterns of behavior. Where is that happening? And as he reveals that to you, then ask him to give you the strength to apply these basic tools, to consistently spend time in his word, connected with others, and being led by his spirit. But then ask him to use the stuff in your life. Ask him to bring you to a deeper joy than this temporary happiness you've been running after. 
Oh, Father, we need your strength to do this. If we could do this on our own, we'd have made these changes a long time ago. So, Father, help us have the guts, have the courage to allow you to transform our lives. Make us new this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.